Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world, welcome to the show. This is the Millennial Millionaire Podcast, and I am your host, Stephen Cohen. This podcast is focused on bringing some of the wisest minds from across the globe to discuss concepts, strategies, and ideals that will lead them to be top performers in their respective industries and their lives. This show is for the millennials and millennials at heart to transcend their mindset, their health, and their income to the next level. We are so excited to have you on this journey with us. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the show, Millennial Millionaires. Super excited for today's guest. Today we have Mr. Kayali Kanai. Mr. Kayali is a world-renowned entrepreneur in the course coaching and consulting industry. His company alone has done over $100 million in the last six years and is a sought-after expert and speaker on the topics of marketing, sales, building a dynamic culture in your business, guys. Today we're going to do a master's class in growth, mindset, and entrepreneurship. Thank you so much for coming, man. Welcome to the show. Thank you, brother. Thanks for having me. It's Kayala. Kayala. My Cl- bad, bro. D- d- don't worry, bro. I was nervous. I get this a lot, okay? You, you're not the first. You won't be the last. Your Instagram <laughs> handle will be on screen, so you're good. <laughs> Kayala, thanks for coming, man. We met about a month ago now at a, uh, at a networking dinner, um, and immediately we connected about watches, which we'll go into in a second. But if you can give the viewers a little bit about your background, about how you got into entrepreneurship, what you're currently doing now, and a little bit about your story would be awesome. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I started my first business in the year 2000, failed for the next 12 years. 2012, uh, I found myself working in a coffee shop for minimum wage. That year, uh, I gave my girlfriend somebody else's trash for her birthday. My mom had a box that she was taking down to Goodwill for a friend of hers. Uh, and I went shopping in that cardboard box to find my girlfriend's birthday gift because yeah. I didn't have any money. Um, and that kind of became like this moment. I think that was like my rock bottom moment. That's like the moment where I'm like, I just can't continue to go down this road anymore. Something absolutely has to change. And I think that that's probably the difference between, you know, the first 12 years of like dipping my toes in the water and trying lots of things and giving things a shot. And then that moment takes place. And then I get like really committed to figuring a way out of that. So at the time I was learning a little bit about affiliate marketing. So I got really serious about that. Within about seven months, I'd quit my job, had my first five figure month. Uh, you know, went on to make my first million plus dollars as an affiliate marketer. And then a lot of folks were asking me about like how I was, you know, doing so well as an affiliate. Um, so I started selling a few courses here and there. I'd sell a Facebook ads course or a copywriting course or a funnels course or something like this. And then that eventually turned into a courses and coaching business, which is, uh, my primary business right now. It's awesome, man. It's funny because every person I have on this show, they had some type of make or break moment, fight or flight moment where enough was enough. They got sick and tired of being sick and tired and they decided to change. And that change changed the trajectory of their life. Mm-hmm. You coach a lot of people, you do masterminds, uh, you support and guide a lot of people in terms of this journey of success. Why do you think some people get that back against the wall moment and thrive and end up changing their life forever where some don't use that as the opportunity to change and they stay stagnant and the same as what they're doing. Man, that's a loaded question. Why don't we start with like, we should start the show with really hard questions, Stephen. Hey, you're the guy, man. (laughs) Um, So uh, the best that I've been able to find in terms of like human behavior, and this comes from a guy named Dr. John Demartini, who's largely considered the world's foremost authority on human behavior. He's very, he's not as popular though as like some of the others, like there's Jordan Peterson and there's, uh, uh, I forget the other doctor's name that like everybody's talking about these days, but- Joe Dispenza maybe? Joe Dispenza. Gotcha. But anyway, Dr. Demartini, um, he, one of the core models for human behavior in his uh, work is, comes from a field of study known as axiology. And axiology is the study of value and worth. And so through axiology, we can observe that every human being has a hierarchy of values the things that we value most in our life down to the things that we potentially don't value at all. And our life will always be a reflection of our values. So our values dictate our destiny because our values will dictate how we use our resources, time, energy, and money. So however we invest our time, energy, and money will inevitably become our destiny, right? So if one person wakes up in the morning and they have a high value on their children, they're they're very likely to you know build a thriving family or a thriving uh, 
childhood for those children. So they grow up in, you know, well, well, well loved, well nourished, that sort of thing. Somebody else wakes up in the morning, first thing that they think about is a business and their businesses projects and people in the business and all these sorts of things. They're going to be very likely to go build a successful business. But if those people make set goals that are in conflict with their values, they experience symptoms like procrastination, hesitation, frustration, self-sabotage, and a host of other things that we know haunts most people's goals and dreams, right? Mm. And so <clears throat> values are dictated by our voids in life. Where, where we perceive an, an emptiness, we will shift our values to try to fill that void. All voids are just perceptions. You can't actually have a void in life, but that, that goes down a different rabbit hole. So for me, I think that moment that I hit, like I'm giving my girlfriend somebody else's trash for her birthday, like this is as this is how bad it's gotten. Up until that point, I can say that most everything that I did in business was mostly just lip service. Mm. It was like, it would have been nice to be rich. It'd be nice to make a lot of money. It'd be cool. Um, you know, and I think a lot of it was ego too, because I got to go around telling friends like, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. Oh yeah, I got this business going on. I got this business going on. But most people know that that entrepreneur is just, you know, uh, AKA broke. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that's like that moment where my values shifted. There was enough of a void that a shift in my, prior, my priorities in life. And I think that most people, until they really prioritize or have a high value on, success, money, like success is a vague term. So I say money, financial independence, business, whatever that is, until their values align with their goals, they continue to deal with symptoms like procrastination, hesitation, frustration, self-sabotage. So the interesting thing is that those things which we label as bad in society, those aren't necessarily bad. What they are is the bodies, is our mind's symptoms trying to wake us up to the fact that we are out of alignment. That makes sense. Mm, I wanted to dig in deep, quick, man, and you've <laughs> you responded. No, I I agree a hundred percent. When when you talk about out of alignment, does that come down in your expertise to self awareness, just not understanding themselves? Does that come back to realizing maybe they're not on track to doing the things that they want? Because I think Gary Vee made it super popular, right? Self awareness, self awareness, self awareness. But I agree with you in the fact that. When you are in tune with what you want, your goals and your desires, which for me, it wasn't until I started getting into entrepreneurship and into sales and started challenging myself to bigger things out of life until I got to that point of realizing what my intuition was telling me to do or not to do, I started finally making the right decisions that were getting me closer. So when you talk about listening to your inner voice and guidance, what does that mean to you and how can people tune into that? Yeah, so when I say the term alignment, I'm speaking of specifically in the context of this conversation, I'm speaking of it in terms of like our values and our goals are in alignment. Mm. When our values and our goals are not in alignment. So um, when the thing that we feel called to do in life and the thing that we are doing every day in life aren't quite the same, we tend to feel out of alignment, right? Um, you know, an esoteric question might be, where does fulfillment come from? Dr. Martini, in his work would say that fulfillment comes from filling full your values. So living by our highest values. So <clears throat> when we live by our highest values, so one might say that the, our, our values, when we get clear about what our values are, which most people, by the way, I want to take a moment to, to address this because a lot of times people hear the word values and they think of social ideals, things like, um, you know, integrity, honesty, fairness, uh, equality. These are social ideals. Values, we're really speaking about literally the fact that every day we wake up and there's things that we value and things that we don't, mm -hmm. right? Um, when we live by our values, so our, our values can kind of give us a window into the soul if you want to go down that road, you know? Um, so if we were to look at it that way, if we were to say that our values give us a window into the soul and, you know, what are, and I, I believe that every person is here for a mission and a purpose, right? Um, if we have a goal that's in conflict with our values, in other words, we're setting a goal that's in conflict with our soul. And mm. what's the point of accomplishing a goal at the sacrifice of your soul? And, and you know, um, when we pursue that which fulfills the soul, I mean, I'd rather have the whole world against me than my own soul. And when we are in alignment with our values, then we live from inspiration rather than motivation. 
So there's a lot of talk about motivation, but we all know that motivation is temporary, right? There's that Zig Ziglar quote that like, you know, um, motivation doesn't last, neither does bathing. That's why you do it every day. Mm. Okay? <laughs> but inspiration is from the spirit within. So we don't need motivation because we're inspired to do the work. Elon Musk doesn't need somebody to set an alarm clock for him. He doesn't need an accountability partner. Jeff Bezos doesn't need somebody to, you know, uh, wake him up in the morning and remind him of what his goals are. He doesn't need to sit around and watch an Eric Thomas playlist to get pumped up. What's for your his, why? <laughs> yeah. He doesn't need to do those things because they're inspired from within to go do what they're doing. And so when I we became like really inspired about the work that I'm doing, it became a lot easier. To, it doesn't feel like work. You know what I mean? Like, I love what I do. Some people might say that I'm a workaholic or that I work too much. Well, that's because they're projecting their values on me. See, so it's like, it's really insidious how quickly we can do that. We think that everybody, one of our innate human desires is to project our values on other people and expect other people to live by our values. And if they're not living by our values, we put them in the pit. And if they, if they reflect our values in a way that we admire, we put them on a pedestal. Um, both of those are perceptions that are lies. Um, and so, uh, when I, like I said, when I, when I began to, to, to live, a, you know, an inspired life, um, I love working. I love doing what I'm doing. You know, if you had to take, if you took that away from me, my life would feel meaningless. And so, uh, I don't have to get motivated every day. I work when I, even when I don't feel like working, I work when I'm tired. I work when the shit gets hard. I work when the odds are against me. Like you just, you go do the thing that you feel called to do with your with your life, you know? Mm, mm, mm. Powerful stuff, guys. We're digging right into it. Early in your career, do you feel like you always followed your purpose and the purpose led to your money? Or do you feel like you had to focus on money for a little bit to eventually then find your purpose? Ooh, that's such a good question, bro. Dropping the heat here today, I like man. this show, dude. I'm loving we're, this show. We're this hopping is, right into this it. This is... Um, so I can say that when I first, when I first started out in my industry, when I like, when I gave my girlfriend somebody else's trash for her birthday, as an example, my immediate short-term goal was to make money. Like I just wanted to make money. I didn't necessarily, uh, I didn't necessarily see it as like having a massive purpose or meaning or anything. Like I just, I can't just be poor anymore. Right. And so then there's a time and place where like the money eventually so if money is money without meaning is debauchery hmm. and money with meaning is philanthropy, you're doing good for the world. And I think it was like 2018, 2018, uh, we had, I was going through a, a breakup with my business partner, uh, the business at that time. So we had scaled the business from zero to a million a month in four months. Uh, we did just shy of 20 million our first year. 2018 was our second year in business. We did a little over 21 million. And in the middle of that year, we decided to uh, part ways, largely because the business was facing a major financial crisis. We were doing about $1.8 million to $2 million a month, somewhere in that ballpark, losing $300,000 plus a month. Mm. Uh, things had just gotten way out of control. We had uh, you know, an incompetent person uh, at the financial wheel of the business. And obviously, I was an incompetent CEO because at the end of the day, the buck stops here, right? And so... We started going through this breakup. The company's losing money. We're we're throwing lawsuits back and forth at each other. It got legal real quick. Uh, and in that time, I'm working harder than I've ever worked in my life. Like I'm working 80 plus hours a week, easy. And I'm poorer, broker than I've ever been. Like I'm losing money, you know. Uh, and it's the it's the it's the poorest that I've been since starting out in my industry. Okay. Mm -hmm. And there's this moment in that process where I started asking myself, like, why am I doing this? Like, I made 30, 50, 60, sometimes, you know, six figures as an, in a month as an affiliate marketer. I was doing better at that than I am with this whole company, right? Why am I going to keep going? And I, and I thought about it for a while. Like, this is not something that took, like, it wasn't, it wasn't a five-minute epiphany. You know, I was like, if I'm going to keep doing this, there's got to be something more to it than just making money. Um... And that's around the time that things really started to sink in and I really start to see like meaningful work in what I was doing. You know, uh, I eventually bought the company from the partner, rebranded in 2019, 
turned it around, obviously, financially. Um, it's thriving today. But if you looked at our product line and the way that we treat our customers today and the values of the business and the culture inside of the company and all these things, you would see a drastically night and day difference between the business as, as it looks today and the business the way that it looked in 2018. And that's because I would say that, uh, you know, I got clarity about what I wanted, my what the meaning behind my business was, and that meaning permeates throughout the business, if that makes sense. <clears throat> powerful, man. I think it's a, it's a really good testimony because I feel like a lot of people, once they, they, they believe once they hit a certain income, then they'll be successful or life is going to be, you know, all sunshine and rainbows, whether that's a six figure mark, a seven figure mark, 30, 40, $50,000 a year. But as you know, new levels, new devils, you know, mm -hmm. it, it would have been very easy of you to just stay in a performance based and just focus on yourself and focus on your own sales and your affiliate marketing and everything that you're doing. You're making a great income, but you realize that you had to give up to get up and you, I believe, realize the concept of scale. And for me, it's the same thing. There's a lot of people in my industry in the solar space sales, which we'll talk about in a little bit, where you can make six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars a year just selling personally, just being the best at your craft, and then going into either building a team or running a company even. It takes sometimes a few steps back, but you realize that you need to go through that process to learn different skill sets that maybe you didn't have before in order for you to achieve a different level of success that you may have not before. So just to remind everyone, you never make it. There's always gonna be new levels. There's always gonna be new challenges. The higher you go, the, the further you see, but there's also bigger obstacles uh, to get in the way of that. I think what you're referring to there, actually in that, you know, in that progression, is really one of the big like entrepreneurial dilemmas. I went through this too. You, you, you've probably been through it, um, where uh, at some point, or not, like entrepreneurs tend to start a business because they're really great at something. They're a great technician at something, right? Man, I bake cakes. I want to open a bakery. Well, then if, you're, if you open a bakery and you have a successful bakery, you never bake a cake again, mm. right? So the thing that you love that caused you to start a business is the thing that you have to fall out of love with to fall in love with being a business owner and that, that whole transition. You know, so great technicians don't necessarily make great entrepreneurs because they're not the same skill set. But the challenge is that most entrepreneurs started their business because they were a great technician. Mm. It's the operator uh, versus versus owner mentality, right? Mm -hmm. Most people, it's like the pizza guy who owns the pizza shop. He may be a great operator, but not a business owner. And even for me, I, I teach our guys this is you have to figure out a way to get leverage in your business. You could be the best salesperson in the world, you could be the best affiliate marketer in the world, but you're bounded by your 24 hours, you're bounded by the amount of energy you have in a day, mm -hmm. where being able to get into that other skill set of recruiting, duplicating, attracting good people, managing, leading, facilitating, delegating, then you're essentially buying back more time because you have leverage and then you have the ability to scale. Can you touch a little bit about that in your business and maybe in other people's business where maybe they are the operator, but in order for them to take that next step, they have to take a step back and be the, the owner, the entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> man, that, I mean, that's also a loaded, we could do a whole podcast just on that. I like you know, We could questions. probably do a whole weekend event <laughs> just on that top, that topic of operations. Um, I say that like operations really like the ability to scale your company is really looking at your business from like really four key quadrants. The first quadrant is, uh, and they're not necessarily in this order, but you have marketing and sales. So that's, uh, you know, all the, the things that you do to get acquire customers and then, you know, sell to those customers. So customer acquisition, customer monetization, then you have operations. That's typically where like fulfillment and, and, um, uh, client success and these sorts of things are going to live. So it's actually fulfilling the promises that you made. Operations is kind of like the brick and mortar, the, the mortar between the bricks in your business. It kind of touches everything. Uh, then you have accounting and finance. So you got to understand your business from a financial perspective. I learned that one the hard way. Keep you out of jail. <laughs> so you got, yeah, you got you to gotta make sure that you can fly your business from the financial cockpit, you know, that you understand. So marketing gives you... Uh, early indicators. Marketing tells you what's gonna happen. Sales tells you what is happening, and then accounting tells you what actually happened. 
at the end, mm. right? So it's always, you know, it's your rear view mirror. So it gives you the clearest view into how well is the business actually doing. And if you can't read your financials, then you don't know how to adjust or pivot. You're, basic, you're probably making, you know, you're not making the best data-driven decisions. And then the fourth quadrant would be leadership. It's really how you lead your team. What kind of leader are you? Because that leader sets the context for all the content that happens inside the business. The leader drives the culture. The, the, the people ultimately become a reflection of the leader. And so a lot of people don't have the people that they want in their business because they're not the leader capable of having the people that they would want. Mm, I love that. Yeah. So, so good. Let's talk about personal development um, a little bit because I know that's your space you're currently in. After you got into your first business of affiliate marketing, did you find personal development and was it something that you were always attracted to or did it come in an unorthodox way? Uh, so I found personal, I would say I found real personal development, like not reading books, like a lot of people, personal development is a, bro a broad term. Um, and I actually don't, I'm not a big fan of the term even, uh, if you like dig into its etymology, but <clears throat> Uh, I was introduced to quote unquote personal development in 2009, actually. So, uh, I had been struggling in business for a long time, lots of failure. And, uh, I watched the movie, the secret buddy of mine showed me the movie, the secret. And I was like, what? what is this then right after I saw that movie, he showed me a movie called, uh, what the bleep do we know? Saw that. Yeah. So that's like the science of the secret. Right. And I was like, well, my God, this might be real. And then right after that, he tells me about this, uh, uh, seminar that uh, was being held in uh, Honolulu at the time that I went and attended. And that seminar was a major uh, wake-up call to me. It, it gave me a lot of uh, self-awareness about why I was struggling so much in my life and in my business, right? And that's where I realized, like, I am it, I, I'm the only common denominator in all the things, right? Everywhere in life that I'm happy and satisfied – which wasn't any at the time, I'm the common denominator. Everywhere in life where I'm failing, falling behind, not getting what I want, I'm also the common denominator. But it's easy for all of us to like point the finger at everybody else out there and rather than, because that's you know easier than taking responsibility and realizing that, no, it's, it's you. And so <clears throat> I, found, I found that in 2009, fell in love with it. Initially, I focused a lot of what I learned through and I went through three different classes with that company, um, one class in Honolulu, two retreats. Um, and I fell in love with that journey. And the first place that I applied it was to like my personal life because I had all of my relationships were torn and tattered. When I went to that class, my, my girlfriend at the time, we had been together seven years, no, five, four years. Uh, we had split. Um, she wasn't talking to me at all. We're still together now. We're engaged now. We've been together 18 years now. But uh, at the time, we had parted ways. Every relationship in my life was falling apart, basically. The relationships that I did have weren't leading me anywhere positive. You know, I mean, some of those people are now in jail. Uh, so my initial focus was applying it to my personal life. And then when I had that rock bottom moment in 2012, I was like, I'm taking these things, these principles these philosophies, and I'm going to apply it to my business. And then things kind of took off from there. Yeah. No, a mentor once told me, he said, Stephen, you don't have a solar business problem. You have a life problem that's affecting your solar business. Oh, yeah. And uh, I believe that. I, Similar to you, I went on a entrepreneurial, personal development, self-discovery journey about 12 years ago when I first got into network marketing. Same thing. Watched A Secret. Uh, you know, what the bleep do you know? And started learning about all the spiritual laws and how you don't have to go to school and get a really good job and go work your way up the corporate America totem pole to be a success. Because most people are so conditioned, especially young people in our society, you have to go to college, you have to either be a doctor, lawyer, um, a professional in order to be considered successful monetarily. So when I realized that wasn't the case and I met other entrepreneurs at the time it was network marketing, making twenty, thirty thousand dollars a month smoking a bong on a Zoom call, <laughs> it completely blew my mind and, and opened up the possibilities of something that I had no idea ever existed. Now, my next question is in today's 21st century where information is abundance, you know, you can go on YouTube and Google how to become a millionaire, or how to be a dropshipper, how to be an affiliate marketer, or you have programs and masterminds like you offer. 
why do you think so many people still aren't waking up to the fact that they don't have to go work a misery job that they hate in order to create some type of monetary success? Yeah, I mean, we live in the area in the era of decentralization, right? Like everything in our, in our lifetime right now is being decentralized. So in internet, the internet decentralized information, right? Prior to that, you had maybe libraries were the closest thing to it, and then you had, you know, schools, uh, universities had uh, really monopolized education. Okay? Uh, cryptocurrency de decentralizes currency, mm -hmm. money. Uh, and so we have lots of different examples of this. In the era of decentralized information, I mean, I, th I think that we used to think that, oh, if we had more access to information, people would be smarter. Turns out that's not exactly the case. Yeah. Right? Uh, and I think that it's it's really it comes down to more of the human dilemma. It's that no 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 amount of knowledge is going to change our lives. It, like knowledge is not powerful. If knowledge were powerful, librarians would run the world. Mm. Uh, but again, going back to values, right? It's not what I know. It's what I apply that I know mm. that matters. And I and I can learn a lot of things if I have a high value on learning. But if I don't have a high value on the application of those things, then I'm not going to execute. Does that make sense? To know and not to do is not to know. <clears throat> exactly. I love that one. Yes. When it comes down to uh, communication, obviously you're a great communicator. You know, I do, you do public speaking, you coach, you mentor, you support. How important has the skill set of communication affected your entrepreneur journey? A hundred percent of it, I would say. I would say, um, so I consider that like one of the subsets of influence. So I've talked about a few uh, about like a few different skills that I've learned over the years that have helped me be successful. And one of them, easily probably the most important one, is influence. Influence is, and when I talk about influence, I'm talking about like influence and persuasion. Okay. Uh, sometimes people hear the word persuasion and they think of manipulation, and that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, but influence, for you know, by my definition, is the ability to get somebody to do what I want them to do but authentically for their reasons. So it's the art of enrollment, so, you know, so to speak. I use it, obviously, in sales. And so communication, the, the, the real thing, the, beautiful, the, the crazy thing about communication is that human beings can communicate at all, right? It's not it, like we are actually horrible at communication. Okay? Uh, and so... Learning about people, like the more I learn about myself, the more I learn about everybody else too, mm. right? Like that's kind of the feedback loop of it. So the more that I discover about myself, the more I discover about how people in general operate. And then I can use those you know, core principles to have better, more effective communication. Uh, when it comes to communication, one of the rules that I have is that communication is the result I get. In other words, it doesn't matter what I said, what I get back from the other per, per person or parties involved, that's what I actually communicated, right? Mm -hmm. So how often do we give somebody a project or a task or we sit down with a spouse and we try to have a conversation about what we're experiencing and then you know we get a result from the staff on a project, we get a piece of work done, we get a piece of work back, and we're like, "What? Well, that's not what we talked about. What? What? what why'd you give me that? This? Go back and look at look at our recorded conversation. Uh, you know, you talk to your spouse about something that you're going through, and then you see them making some changes, and you go, "Like that's not what I asked for, but apparently that's what they heard, mm. right? So communication for me is the result I get. Now that doesn't necessarily alleviate somebody else of their portion of the responsibility, but the most responsible form of communication is to first take responsibility for it and acknowledge that if I did, if I got less than what I wanted out of this interaction, then where did I fail in the communication? What could I have said better? What did I not understand about the other person? You know, where did I miss the mark? Uh, you know, what could I, what questions could I have, uh, have asked to add clarity? There's all sorts of ways that I could have improved. And if I'm learning from the experience, then I'm just getting better at the art. If I'm blaming everybody else for the results I'm getting in my communication, I can't get better at the art, right? Uh, <clears throat> so again, it, it doesn't alleviate somebody else of their responsibility. I mean, it's still to some, like if I have people on the team 
and they continue we continue to have the same problems in our in the communication after problem solving several times to figure out what wasn't working and what wasn't you know tweaking a few things then i'm going to say yeah it's probably them okay at that point but my f- first leadership philosophy is probably them definitely me so regardless of what happens what did i do how did how, how did i create it and there from there i can adapt and change so Community, you know, I really want somebody to do what I want them to do, but authentically for their reasons. Now, the thing there is, the catch there is that you have to actually know what their reasons are. Hmm. You have to know about the other person that you're having communication with. Does that make sense? So in my team, you know, I get to know my people. We do, we do events. We bring people. We just got less than a month ago. We were in Dallas, Texas, flew everybody in. We spent about $350,000 on uh, a resort. We had an event. We rented out a movie theater for our team training event. We flew in Dr. John Demartini actually to do a, a four-hour or five-hour uh, training with the team. Uh, we and, and we spend a lot of time investing in the culture, so we get to know each other. Because if I want to be able to influence you, I have to know what you want. I have to know what you value, and then I have to show you how doing the thing that we're going to do together is going to help you get what you want. That way you're doing it for your reasons. Mm. You're inspired about it. You're not motivated about it, right? Because if you're motivated, I have to motivate you again later. If you're inspired, you'll do it yourself. Does that make sense? hundred percent, man. You got to touch their heart before you can ask for their hand. Yes. I used to tell my, <clears throat> my exec team, um, if you want their heads, capture their hearts. Mm. I love that piece about communication. I hope you guys were listening to that. Communication isn't what you are relaying to the individual. Communication is the feedback you get from that individual and how they respond. And I think it goes back to that core principle that you just talked about is just extreme ownership. When you mm. take extreme ownership, full accountability over everything going on your, in your life, even how people respond to the way that you communicate with them, then you always have the power to make improvement or change that. Mm. I think one of the great myths in society uh, is people buy so easily into victimhood and they put their blame and they put their personal responsibility on the government or the society or who is in office or the neighborhood or the social media platform. When in reality, that may all be true and it may not be your fault, but I do believe it is your responsibility. And by having that mindset, at least you have the power, right? It's a very empowering state versus giving it to other people. You're essentially disempowering yourself, which I believe is why most people don't go out there and take big action. I I would 100% agree with you. I think a lot of the things that we do, even as a like as a society, um, especially in politics, in politics they tend to pander to to victimhood. You know, it gets a lot of votes. If you can convince people that the reason that they don't have what they want is because this other party made it that way, set them up to fail, it's easy to get votes. It's easily because people because people want to you know to pass off the responsibility onto somebody else, and. Uh, it's a good manipulation tactic. But if you really want people to change their lives, if you really want people to stand up and own their power, if you really want people to live their authentic self, you want people to find their vision, their mission, their purpose, that comes from responsibility. That comes from taking ownership of your life. Like how can you, how can you change anything that you won't first take responsibility for? Mm. If you can't take responsibility, it's somebody else's some it's up to somebody else to change, right? So that's like, I'll be successful when the economy changes. I'll be successful when the Democrats are in charge. I'll be successful when my upbringing is different. Well, too late. That's behind me. I'll be successful when my boss isn't an idiot, when my coworkers can get their shit together, you know, when uh, my mom gets her head on straight, whatever it is. It's like, wow, good. Well, when the whole world changes, then you'll be successful. Good luck. Yeah, absolutely. Why do you think people have that victim mentality? I know that, and we'll dig deep into this in a little bit, I know that growing up and our ancestors and the medieval times, our brain is not to help get us success and help live life to the fullest, it's to protect us. At our core, um, our million-year brain is to protect us. Do you think that is the reason why people reflect blame, or do you think it's something that is conditioned through society? Uh, I think, I mean, again, I guess, I guess I think it's, um, a bit of both. I think that there's, you know, a protection of the ego, 
in blaming things on other people. So we get to protect our self-identity. Um, you know, the, the brain is really rooted in a, as a survival mechanism. The oldest portion of the brain, the amygdala, is just, you know, fight or flight. It's the, you know, escape predator, capture prey kind of thing. It's just trying to keep us alive. And part of protecting the ego is that. It's a sort of survival mechanism, right? <clears throat> Letting go of the ego can oftentimes feel like death. People talk about this when they're going through therapy or uh, really going through you know, things like depression. When your whole world seems to be unraveling, it can feel like a dying mm. is happening, you know, figuratively. Uh, and so there's, I think that there's some identity uh, there. I think that it's also, you know, I don't think that a victim necessary mentality is bad in the sense that if you didn't have it, how would you know what a responsible mentality would be? So everything in, every, everything in the universe serves us, right? One of our, probably our greatest, uh, you know, l illusions is that there is a right and a wrong or a good and a bad in the universe, right? Those are, those are moral constructs created by human beings. You don't have those, uh, you don't see any other species on earth that abides by that, you know? Uh, if a tiger kills a baby gazelle to feed its cubs, it's not worried about the morality of it. You know, that's not murder to the tiger kind of a thing. Now, some people would say that, oh, like you're gonna slip down the slippery slope of like moral relativity. No, I'm not, I'm not I don't need morality necessarily to tell me uh, whether or not, like how to treat other people. I do that based on my values. Um, in human perception, we tend to label things good and bad, or right and wrong, or up and down, right? We tend to polarize things. And <clears throat> in the universe, though, we can see that uh, the universe seeks equanimity, a balance. You know, it's built on duality. For every up, there's a down. For every left, there's a right. For every not um, positive, there's a negative, that sort of thing. So... When we label something good, what's really happening is we're conscious of the benefits and unconscious of the drawbacks. Mm. Notice that there's a conscious and unconscious portions of the mind, right? Um, also duality. Uh, when we label, label something negative, what we're saying is that we're aware of the drawbacks, but we're unconscious of the benefits. And so it's just that imbalanced perception. And we see this all over the, for every memory, there's an anti-memory. You can Google this. Science is just starting to discover this now. So like the way that the brain stores memory, it has to create an anti-memory in order to store it. For everything, there's an equal and opposite. So nothing, as an example, victimhood or a victim mentality is not bad necessarily. Um, we, we label it bad if we see it having more drawbacks than benefits. And so I'm hesitant to like get too polarized in the conversation, do I think that it serves people in achieving what they ultimately want to achieve in life? No, I think that they have to eventually find a way to shift to a more responsible mentality. And at the same time, if it weren't for that victim mentality, they wouldn't even know that that other option exists. So oftentimes, you know, things are trying to wake us up to the truth. Uh, you know, Dr. Martinez, as an example, he would say that, you know, our brain, our mind is trying to wake us up constantly to our authentic self. Of course, we have to be willing to see that, you know, you have to peek, be willing to peek behind the curtain. I think that, you know, to your point as well, uh, there's, there's benefits to playing the victim. You get sympathy. People, human beings don't do anything that doesn't serve them. We're just usually unconscious of what the benefits are, but you get sympathy, you get empathy, I mean, you can get money for being a victim. Look how many times, look at me, look how many, we live in Vegas, bro. Look how many billboards there are yeah. dedicated to like, were you, are you a victim of, you know, some car accident? Are you a victim of it? And look how big the offices are for these attorneys that will pander to victims, right? So there's lots of benefits to being a victim. And most people don't want to give those benefits up in order to have what they truly want in life, you know? So that's just life trying to wake them up. Says, hey, what do you really want? You want these things, that, you, that these goals, these dreams, these visions, these aspirations? Or do you want to continue the sympathy, the empathy, you know, uh, the benefits of being a victim? Uh, anyway, I could go on and on. Do I think no, this well, is a well, com complicated, Super. complex question. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love the duality part because I agree with you. I don't think there is anything 
good or bad. It's it's just your relationship to it. It's your perception because something in the moment you may perceive as bad five years, 10 years down the line could have been the best thing that's ever happened to you. Mm -hmm. So I think people just need to realize that life isn't as binary as they believe it is and to have an objective perspective about things because you don't really know what's best for you. If you believe in God, universe, whatever you believe in, I believe there is some type of source energy, some type of being that has my best benefit. I am protected um, esoterically. And by doing that, I think it gives someone the faith in order to maybe go against their logic in the moment to make those big decisions to hopefully live life um, at a higher standard. So let's talk a little bit. You, you brought this up about the conscious and the subconscious or unconscious mind. How do you utilize the unconscious mind if you're not conscious of it in your best favor to get what you want? <laughs> Is that a trick question, Stephen? Potentially. Um, <clears throat> no, that's a really good question. Okay. I know you're the guy for that. I use I use this I use this a lot actually. <clears throat> um so making the unconscious conscious is a challenge. It is it like it feels like work, right? It's 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 challenging. Uh, some of the exercises that I have on this and this is something that I do a lot because I want to balance out my perceptions as often as possible. I don't like to get too elated. People who get elated get deflated. Mm. Pride before the fall. Right. I obviously don't want to get too deflated either. Right. Uh, so, but I also, and, and I, I want to stay uh, poised, not poisoned. It, you know, when, especially when there's challenges that we're facing in life. Uh, and of course, as entrepreneurs, we face lots of challenges. Right. So, understanding that the truth is both sides, the truth is that nothing is good or, neg or, or bad, it is both. Then I can begin to ask myself, I can be, begin to, from that root principle, I can begin to find the quote unquote truth. So as an example, if you and I are in a conflict of some sort and I'm having you know, a problem with you, I'm, having, I'm, I'm charged up about you. First thing I'm going to ask myself is, and by the way, that charge, that's the amygdala. Okay? Uh, so that it's, it's storing traumas, something that's happened probably in my life, you're triggering some sort of a trauma. That's another reason people tend to play the victim is to protect their traumas. But um, <clears throat> if I'm charged up at you, first thing I'm going to do is ask myself, okay, well, what am I judging about this person? So what, am, what are my judgments of you? Okay, uh, And I want to label it. So I might say, well, he's being selfish. Um, he's being cruel. Uh, he's being unfair. He's being whatever. I might make a list of these things. By the way, when you do that, you bring the limbic brain online. So now you're pulling yourself out of the amygdala and you're bringing the limbic brain online, which is gonna calm down some of that charge. Then from there, I'm gonna ask myself, I'm gonna take those traits that I identified in you, and then my next question, this is gonna be bringing the, the prefrontal cortex online, is I'm gonna ask, okay, well, where in my life have I been those things? Hmm. Where in my life have I been selfish? Where have I been unfair? Where have I been cruel? Who has perceived me as that in my life? And I would look for those examples until I can see that I'm just as much those things as I'm perceiving you to be. Because in reality, I'm dis whatever we judge about somebody is what we've disowned about ourselves. Hmm. And here's a question. How can we love ourselves if we're disowning parts of ourselves? Can't. So the goal is not to necessarily, the goal here is like really what I find in a conflict is you're giving me the opportunity to, to love myself. That's the gift. So that's one exercise as an example, right? So I'm asking myself, okay, where have I been that person? Where am I showing up that way? So you see how I'm like, all that stuff is just buried in the conscious and I'm bringing it conscious. You know, when I'm facing a challenge in my business, I might say, uh, you know, okay, well, what is the benefit to this? What's the upside to this? What can I learn from this? How can I get become a better leader as a result of this? I'll start asking myself questions to see the other side of these things. When I went through that partnership breakup in 2018, so this, this is where like the rubber meets the road. Okay, I'm going to give you, we've only got a few minutes. So I'm going to do my best to distill this story for you. Okay. April of 2018, uh, I brought in a new financial team. I knew that my, so I only became CEO of the company officially in March of 2018. I needed to secure the contract. I knew something was wrong financially. And I knew that the person at the financial helm of the business was making mistakes, but he was talking over me and hiding behind my business partner. It took me four months to get a contract that stated that I was officially the CEO. And that way I could make decisions without my business partner agreeing. Okay. 
very first thing I did was start looking at that. And I find out that this guy, that the, the CFO at the time, is totally incompetent. And uh, so I bring in a new uh, financial team to audit the books, and I fire the guy. About a week into that, I get on a meeting with him. They say, are you sitting down? I say, oh, shit, what happened? And they say, uh, did you know that you have a million dollars in loans in your name? I was like, what? Oof. From where? They're like, well, it's three loans. And uh, two for a quarter million, one for half a million. And we figured that it wasn't you because the signature is actually the CFO's. Because the, C the CFO at the time had power of attorney because we were growing so quickly. There were so many things happening that we just needed him to like sign off on things. Well, he brought in, a, he, he took about a million dollars in loans to hide his own mismanagement of the funds. But those loans were all in my name, right? All of the merchanting that we had in the business, so all the banks that were you know, facilitating our transactions, all of that was in my name because my partner was uh, international partner. So I had all the financial risk in the business. Okay, then uh, you know business is going upside down. We're losing about three hundred thousand dollars a month. I got to figure that out. At that time, the CTO. So we had like this little software that we were trying to build, and we had nine developers. We had eight developers, one project manager, and a CTO. CTO hears that me and my partner are having issues. He decides to resign. Doesn't even give me the full two weeks' notice. Just give me like seven or eight days, whatever it was. And I was like, "Why are you resigning?" He's like, "Well, because I, I've been through stuff like this before, and I don't want to be here while you guys go through it." Uh, so that left me with a team of people that I don't know how to manage, and they're burning through one hundred and thirty thousand dollars a month. My second in command at the time, my COO at the time, who's uh, the number one person that I'm leaning on, leaning on to run the business, he was planted there, and I didn't know it, by my business partner. So he's feeding all my wow. business partner all the stuff that's happening. So as I'm maneuvering to you know, position to move, move my business partner out and buy him out, he's feeding all the information back to my business partner. Um, his second in command was the same thing. He had he had recruited her into that same role as well. So the people on my team that I'm relying on most are actually stabbing me in the back at this time. Uh, my <clears throat> we're pouring through my I get I finally turned the business around and get it black in the black one month. And uh, the dev team, because I didn't know how to manage them, they made this decision that they were going to switch servers on us. They moved everything to a new server. All of a sudden, our front-end customer acquisition went down. We couldn't figure out why. took us three weeks to figure out why. They had, they had not moved one of the IP addresses that was attached to our email platform, so emails in our funnels weren't going out. We couldn't figure out why that was happening. That cost me $600,000 in lost revenue. So the very first month that I get the company back into profit, the very next month it loses $600,000. Okay? Um, <clears throat> there's quite a bit more details that I, that I could um, share with you. But long and the short of it is a lot of people don't bounce back from that. right? A lot of people would say, or they might come back, they might turn the business around and say, I'll never have partners again. Or they'll have partners again, but they'll always be suspicious of them. And all these things. And I knew that like, if I don't work on this stuff, this will come back and haunt me. This will be baggage that I'll carry into the future, right? Whatever we don't learn, whatever lessons we don't learn, we repeat. Mm. So, and I don't want to go through life repeating the same lessons over and over again. I want to evolve, you know? And so in that process, I applied exactly the things that we're talking about. As I would get charged up at my business partner, I would sit alone with a piece of paper in the evenings at times. And this is a, bro, this is a time in my life where I'm drinking every single night just to go to bed. You know, I mean, there's an immense amount of pressure. At the day that I got him to, well, actually, I'll come back around to that. <clears throat> there's a good story there. But I would sit down in the evenings and I'd make a list of all the things that I was judging about him, right? And then I would own all of those traits to the point that I could see that he's no better than, he's not better than me or less than me. We're the same. He's giving me an opportunity to love myself. When uh, we would face all those different challenges in the company, I'd be sitting, or I'd be, I'd be on coaching calls with one of my guys that works with me on this stuff. This all, by the way, this is also Demartini stuff. So I would um, sit on these coaching calls with him, and we would look at the situations, the challenges that I was facing, and we'd be looking for the upsides to those. We'd be looking for the transformations taking place in the business. So one of the laws of the universe, law of conservation. Uh, nothing can be created or destroyed. It just trans it can only transform, right? So I'm looking at the situation as if my wealth is being destroyed, 
What ends up happening though is as people are leaving the business, I'm bringing new people into the business. And I brought in friends, I brought in a husband and wife couple that were had been friends of mine since 2013. They had big corporate experience. I was able to convince them to leave their six figure a month business and come work with me on this thing, you know, in the hopes that this would pay them six figures a month. Uh, which it's doing more than that now. They eventually bought in as a partner at some point. But they at the point at this point, they came in, one took over operations, one took over marketing. Uh, uh, my another person that was in the company, <clears throat> he took over, he went from m managing our media team to helping uh, run our sales team. Now, that's one day on one of these exercises, I'm going through and I'm complaining about how much money I'm losing and you know how it feels so unfair. And I'm working harder than I've ever, ever worked. And everything that I've worked for is going away because I'm putting money back into the business trying to keep it afloat. And so uh, we, in that conversation, I realized that, hey, well, while these people are stabbing me in the back and leaving the company, these other people are coming in and helping me save the company. And they have more experience. They have better character, right? Uh, we're more uh, aligned in our values. And I believe that they could turn things around. So I'm... So a question that my coach asked is, so are you losing your wealth or are you building the team that's going to make you wealthy? Mm. I was like, fuck, transformation, law of conservation. Yes, I was losing money, but I was trading that money for the experience that I was learning, right? I was trading that money to bring you people into the organization that can make it what it is today. And... <clears throat> In that conversation, and this has been going on for months now, in that conversation, I realize the upside to this entire challenge that I've been going through for eight months at that point. I break down into tears crying in that conversation. I call my director of marketing and I, and I thank him for being on the team. I call his wife who's taken over um, operations at the time and I thank her for being on the team. I call my guy that stepped in and took over sales and I thank him for being on the team in tears grateful, right? And the, the, the real centeredness, truly balanced perception brings you to a place of gratitude. It's where you realize that you wouldn't want anything to change. It's really like saying that if I had this all to do over again, I'd want it to be exactly the same. If I look back at, at that period of my life, if I had it all to do over again, I wouldn't change a thing. I want it to happen exactly as it is because I see all the benefits in it too. That's gratitude. And that was that moment of gratitude that I had. <clears throat> The next day, the next day, I got an email. The partner emailed my CFO, and he had put everything together in writing. And he said, this is the offer. And that was exactly the offer that we were going for. And I was able to sign. I had two weeks of money left in the bank account, two weeks of before we were bankrupt. Signed that paperwork, got him out. I spent the last dollars that I had to my name to get him his first payment, which was... Let's just say it was six figures, multiple six figures. I had to give him that last payment, the last dollars I got to my name. I ran a promotion. Within two weeks, brought in $2.2 million in revenue. And we got it back, turned, turned back around. For the eight months that I went through that challenge, when I was resisting it, when I was fighting it, when I was up against it, it was hard, you know, for it to, it was hard to resolve it. But when I had that moment, that epiphany, that breakthrough, I realized all the benefits that were coming out of this. And that I wasn't losing something, I was gaining something. That I wasn't losing a team, I was building a team. And that this was a team that helped me go build a $100 million company. When I had that immense gratitude, and all I could come from was the place of love, the lesson was over. Mm. Kayla, that is powerful, bro. Thank you for sharing that story. Guys, I hope you're listening. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. But what I got from that is trust the process. A lot of times we get in our own way. You know, it's our, our thoughts, the resistance to everything that good is going on in our life. But because we have the wrong perception or because we have the wrong relationship with whatever we're holding on to, we actually stop the unfolding from happening the way that we want to. I go back mm -hmm. to my own life and there's so many situations, maybe to that night, not that high of a level, but there's so many situations in my life where at the moment it was painful, it was challenging, I wanted to quit, I wanted to give up, I had doubt, I questioned myself, and then something happened, whether it was an intervention, whether it was guidance, mentorship, support, and experience, where I shifted my perspective, I, I got into gratitude, I got into humility, and then literally instantaneously, it felt like fate, that situation shifted and mm -hmm. the trajectory changed for that. What is that? 
is that law of attraction? Is that universe God? Is that just you putting so much force against the universe that it had to conspire in your favor? What do you think that was? I think that's evolution. I think that's what that is. So, uh, so in that moment, right? So one, I think it's, you know, it's a balanced perception. It's realizing this is going to, listen, I'm going to say some things that probably going to challenge some people's opinions on things, but go there for, uh, yeah. So for me, that's realizing that there is the divine order of the universe to see that it's always serving us. Right. So you mentioned, you know, earlier that you believe that there's some sort of intelligence. I would say that I bet my life on it because I've, I've seen it. Like that's the practice of seeing it. So people can talk about God and they can go to church. Right. But I've, seen it unfold through these practices in my life where moments like that where I'm seeing like wow this has all been serving me actually and from that we 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 find love so love being the synthesis of complementary opposites when we can see all of the drawbacks and all of the benefits all at the same time see how both sides serve us and we can say thank you then we find love then we unlock the life that we love and we love the life that we have. And then we get to evolve to a new challenge because we're never going to get to a place where we've transcended our humanity. Does that make sense? But what we can do is evolve to learn a new lesson. If I hadn't done that work, and you've probably met people who've, who've been through similar things, right? They've been through a bad relationship. I mean, a partnership is basically a marriage. Hmm. It's held together by a contract, right? Um, it, it, has custo- it gives custodianship over assets, you know? And so you've probably met people who've been through bad marriages or bad relationships, and they live that out over and over again in their next marriage and their next relationship, right? When we don't heal what hurts us, we bleed on those who don't cut us. Hmm. And so I didn't want to spend, I know that if I don't go through that process, I know that if I don't learn all the lessons in there, if if I don't see the gold in that, then I will carry that baggage forward. And I didn't want to live the rest of my life dragging that trauma along with me, right? It was not going to define me. I'm going to define it, right? Life is not happening to me. I'm happening to it. And so for me, that, that when, you know, when you ask the question, okay, what is that? That moment where like everything seems to turn around. I, I feel like that's evolution. That's when we've graduated. That's when we get to move on to the next lesson. And I'm, I know that I'm going to face new challenges. I mean, we just crossed 100 million in sales. We're doing, Congrats. you know, thank you. We're doing, you know, well over $3 million a month right now in that business. And all of my business is growing. All of my partnerships growing. I've got multiple partnerships now. You know, in that, mo- in that time, I thought, oh, man, maybe I'll never have a partner again. I've got multiple partnerships now, all of them thriving. And <clears throat> I didn't, I, you know, I just didn't want that to poison my future. And so I was willing to do the work, you know, to, to see both sides, to bring everything back into balance, um, to realize the divine order that's unfolding before us at all times. Yeah. And to realize that when it feels like the road is falling out from under us, it's really oftentimes rising up to meet us. 100%, man. And the beautiful thing about that is those moments, you can pull on those when you face future adversity. Mm. When I go through challenges, whether it's in my business or in my relationships or certain personal challenges that I deal with, I pull on those moments where I didn't believe I was good enough or I didn't believe it would work out. And I pull on those challenges because it did work out and it gives me the confidence, the faith, the conviction, and the trust in the process to be able to move forward. And I feel like everyone out there watching, doesn't matter on a macro or a micro level, has those types of defining moments that they didn't think they were gonna make it and they were eventually able to overcome. So I invite you guys, pull on that, use that as motivation, inspiration, drive next time you face something that you feel like is bigger than yourself. Man, we could talk about this all day. I'm, I'm getting fired up, but uh, we do have to start wrapping down. On a lighter note, watch us. What's your thoughts? Investment or just for the flex? Uh, man, I don't know. Both? I mean, there's an interesting thing about a Rolex, right? So, like, so I got this as a treat to myself in 2019. Um, uh, and so... I mean, I think I bought this thing for like 45000 plus some tax at the time. Uh, but in reality, man, I mean, it's cheaper than a Timex, 
Because yeah. now, I mean, yeah. I see them selling now for like 60K, right, uh, on the secondhand market. And so it went up in like 15, it went up like $15,000 or so. Whereas your Timex is worth nothing the moment you put it on your wrist, mm. right? So investment, flex, what's the difference really? <laughs> I, yeah, I, I just started getting to watch this probably like a year and a half ago because I'm Jewish. So naturally, I have a hard time spending money on things because I feel like it's intrinsically in my blood to save money. And then I started realizing, man, this is either going to sit in my bank account, which now high-yielding savings accounts are actually pretty decent. You're getting like 4%, 5%. Um, or I could have it on my wrist and have a hard asset and uh, get a lot of, you know, a big reason where I feel like maybe we connected at first was because of the watches. So you have the networking aspect. You have a hard, tangible asset that you're able to put on your wrist that you could potentially pass down, liquidate. Um, and I, I just think it's a good networking piece. I do too, man. I think like it's one of those things that when you – See, a watch like that, like what you're wearing, it's not a watch. It's a status symbol. Hmm. You know, I, I drove a Lamborghini here. It's not a car. It's a status symbol. It's a trophy. These are trophies, right? So you're wearing status symbols that allow, that, that's a signal to other people in our society of what, that you, you're somebody who's achieved something, you know? You're somebody who's accomplished something. And therefore, you have a, a value to offer that most don't. And that's going to be attractive, right? Wealth begets wealth. So wherever wealth flows, wherever wealth is growing, more wealth will come too, right? The rich get richer, the poor get poorer. There's a reason that that saying uh, is true. Uh, and so <clears throat> these are status symbols that allow us to like attract other people that are going to help us build, you know, relation, build profitable relationships. Absolutely. 100%. Well, let's let's talk about your routine. I'm pretty sure I saw somewhere that you were written about in the Miracle Morning with mm -hmm. El Halrad. Can you yep. talk a little bit about that? I think that's pretty cool. I've read that book and it's made a massive impact in my life. Yeah, so Hal Elrod um, wrote a book um, called The Miracle Morning, and then they did uh, variations of the book, like they, like Chicken Soup for the Soul did, like Chicken Soup for the Soul for teenagers and all that stuff. They did a uh, variation for different careers. Um, I ended up being written about in, uh, in the... Uh, the one for network marketers, okay? And because at the time I was promoting a network marketing offer and I was like just absolutely crushing the thing. And then the, my, the buddy of mine that co-wrote the book, we were friends. So he was like, hey, will you be in the book? Uh, but I was just in there about my morning routine, which at the time my morning routine was probably different than it is today. For a, quite some time, I think I needed a morning routine. My morning routine today is like get up, work out, and get to work. Uh, I don't fuss around much about it, you know, but at one point I really need to spend the time to reprogram the way that I thought, the way that I behave, the way that I showed up. And I think that a morning routine has its place. And I think that a lot of more advanced people tend to grow out of it. But at the time, my morning routine consisted of waking up, doing a little bit of med meditation, a little bit of visualization. And I would do this thing called, um, uh, ultra reading, which I learned from a mentor where I would pick up like a stack of like 12 books. And I would just have, I would have a pre-formulate a set of questions in my mind. And I would just look at the stack of books and say, okay, with well, this one. And I'd pick up the book and I'd just start flipping through pages, man. Just flipping. I'm not necessarily reading. Something might jump out at me and I might pick that up and go, oh, okay, let me pay attention to that sentence. But I'm not, it's not there about like consciously reading. The whole thing is that like subconsciously you're picking up all that information. So I'd do this ultra reading exercise for like 20 minutes every morning. And that was like one of the key things in the book. It's cool. Yeah, I feel like a lot of times people use their morning routine as almost crutches, where if they don't do it, they're not able to perform at the way that they feel like they should. I'm a believer. I'm a cold plunge guy. I like, you know, making sure that I'm doing the best I can in the morning. But I think it's also a dangerous thing because the second that you have anything creating a crutch in your life, oh, I can't t speak this way because I didn't do this or that. I think it becomes dangerous. So Mm -hmm. I think it's a mixture. You need to find what works for you and make sure that you're optimized the best way that you can. But at the same time, if you're dependent on anything too much, it's probably not a good thing because you're not going to go out there and perform if you don't do it the way you need to. Right, which brings us back to that bong that you mentioned, right? <laughs> I didn't let that slip. <laughs> okay. I'm kidding. We'll talk about it after. <laughs> okay, Ola, you've been amazing, man. Uh, last question. Unfortunately, we're running out of time for you. 
if the Kayala today doing over $100 million in business, traveling around the world, coaching, teaching, running masterminds, could go back in time 15, 20 years ago when you first got into entrepreneurship, first got into business, what advice or guidance would you give your old self? Everything is love. And that's not the same as, as love is everything. So going back to all the stuff that I was talking about in that eight-month partnership breakup, balancing the perceptions, seeing both sides of life, seeing the hidden order in the perceived chaos, right? At the end of that, that is, if you've ever experienced it, at the end of it, you'll see, you'll feel loved, right? So everything is love. We don't have... We don't see, we don't experience everything as love or as lovingly because we have perception, right? Free will. So we get to perceive things uh, in our mind and those perceptions are going to be imbalanced, right? Because that's a survival mechanism. So we label things as good as, and good, good as good and bad, right and wrong, that sort of thing. But if you, can, if you are willing to entertain the idea that the biggest challenges that we face in life are really our biggest benefits, are really the thing that have most served us. If we are willing to entertain that and go down that road, I think we would, we would find that life is just loving us. Mic drop. Kayla, you've been amazing, man. Where can the viewers find you? They want to get connected. Uh, Instagram, I put some content on Instagram, YouTube. I get a lot of, I put a lot of my, you know, better content, more long form content on YouTube. So you can hit me up on YouTube. Uh, Kayala Kanai. Uh, I'm sure you'll put it on the screen somewhere around here. Oh, awesome. Uh, and so that's, you know, it's got, it's Hawaiian. Okay, folks. So it's got 10 letters, but 40 vowels. So don't be confused. <laughs> Thank you so much, man, for coming on the show. Guys, thanks we'll for having me. Absolutely. Guys, Millennial Millionaires, another episode. We will see you guys next week. Thanks for tuning in. Peace.